Hello everybody and welcome back to Manga Mavericks at Movies, the show where we don't talk smack about movies, we celebrate them. And today we are talking about a film that we certainly celebrated for a long, long time. That's right, today we are releasing to you publicly our Patreon review of Dragon Ball Super Broly. We released this on our Patreon last fall. For all our bonus pod tier patrons. But now we are releasing to you a free preview of the first hour or so of our Dragon Ball Super Broly discussion. One hour of our entire three and a half hour discussion that you can hear the rest of if you head over to patreon.com slash mongamerics and pledge it our five star tier to get access to our bonus pods. Including other at movies episodes that you have heard Patreon previews of before, like Captain Marvel and Alita Battle Angel. But yeah, we are releasing our Dragon Ball Super Broly episode because it's been about a year since the film came out on Blu ray over here. Honestly, we should have released this back in January. For the theatrical anniversary of Dragon Ball Super Broly's in order to bring a theatrical run. But I did not get the idea to do these Patreon previews. These Patreon peaks back in January. So we are doing this in April instead. But it's a great discussion where me and our good friend Rix talk about Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Super Broly, all the influences, all the things that make the movie so cool in terms of what it adds on to in the lore of Dragon Ball and how it recontextualizes the character of Broly into somebody cool and likable and sympathetic. So it was a really fun discussion and if you like what you hear here, definitely head on to Patreon.com slash MangaMavericks to hear the rest and also do that to hear our other bonus pods because we've got a ton of other cool bonus pods for Dragon Ball fans. We've got our Tat Time I Got Reincarnated Yamcha episode where we discuss that short manga about being reincarnated as Yamcha which is super cool and funny and we've also got episodes talking about the entirety of Shonen Jump in 2019 and our current Patreon bonus project is a series where Colton and Doctor go over the classic Shonen Jump trailblazing and Shonen action manga Saint Seiya Volume by volume, two volumes at a time, a month at a time. Discussing their experience reading that for the first time through, it's a really entertaining listen, and you should definitely check it out if you're a fan of classic shonen manga action series like Dragon Ball. And if you are interested in hearing us talk about more cool movies on Ad Movies, you should vote in our special poll that we have going on right now for you, the listeners, to choose what we cover on the show next month. Until theaters reopen, we are doing these polls where we are going through our backlog of movies we have on DVD and Blu-ray that we have not watched yet. Some of the films on there include some Lupin the Third films, some Zatch Bell films, some Tenchi Muyo films... All kinds of awesome films, so check that out, vote on that, Paul, vote for your favorites, and we'll cover them all in the show in May. But without any further delay, let's talk about the Berserker himself, the legendary Super Saiyan reimagined. Let's talk about the super movie Dragon Ball Super Broly.
his iconic line. Oh, yeah! Wait, wait, from, like, the original movie? From the original movie, the Japanese version, the uh, English version is, I'm a real freak! What? <laughs> they referenced it in sup- the Super Broly Dub itself, when King Vegeta is saying, you know, if I were to characterize your son, I would call him, I would go so far as to call him a freak. They literally referenced it in the dub. Oh, my God! <laughs> I've watched the Broly movie. Okay, I guess I was kind of passively watching it while I was watching the dishes because I was kind of bored. It's a boring movie. <gasps> oh, you're talking about the original. The original movie's boring. Yeah, uh, yeah I totally agree. No, the new movie's pretty good. Yeah? They give it a pretty, pretty good. It's a good movie. You should, you should go watch it. There we go. That's the whole podcast. Oh, that's all the podcast. Bye. <laughs> this is not over yet. We have only just begun. This is not the final form of this podcast. And what is this podcast? Welcome, everybody, to Momarek Said Movies, the show where we don't talk smack about movies, we celebrate them. It's up on the rare occasions where we do talk smack about bad movies, but today, we're not talking about a bad movie, we're talking about a great movie, and this is a podcast long overdue, because this is our review of Dragon Ball Super Broly! Its power level is 10,000. Released in Japanese theaters on December 14, 2018. Then released in North American theaters a month later on January 16, 2019. To box office success, a $7 million opening night. A $9 million opening weekend. Opening in the top five for that weekend. By the end of that weekend, rising to the ranks of number three all-time anime film in the U.S. at the box office, Broly was a mega hit. That's really cool, actually. I'm I'm glad that more anime movies are getting the treatment that they deserve. Maybe now Hollywood will be like, hmm, maybe there's something about this anime bullshit. Maybe we should stop, like, you know, taking movies that are slightly successful in the U.S. and then remaking them into something... That's live action, but Americanized. Well, like your name. It's well, good. Let's make it about a Native American girl and a guy from Chicago. Why are we specifying the race of the girl and not the boy? Are we saying that default is white? Oh my god. It seems like there's some subtle racism in Hollywood. Who would have guessed? Oh wow, why is the girl Native American? Is that an equivalence to the Shintoism of the Japanese version? Obviously, nature spirits are all the same across all countries, and all Native Americans worship nature spirits. It's just how it works. I'm sure glad they're going to hire a Native American writer to be true to actual spirituality of Native American religion. Oh, what? They're not? Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, Dragon Ball Super Broly will definitely turn heads, I think. Because it's box office success, I think we'll see more wide releases of anime films in the U.S. Thanks to it, at least for the big top-tier names. My Hero Academia came out last fall to only about 500 or so theaters, and it had a two-week run, earned about $5 million. I think that if we have another My Hero film come out after this success of Broly, it'll be released in more theaters, and we might see a comparable run and a success that Broly did. Maybe they'll release it into something that's not like an event, and actual kids will be able to go see the movie, because a lot of the kids that I know are actually into this My Hero Academia thing, (laughs) and would like to go see the movies, but they don't know they exist. Yeah, they definitely need to do more promotion. So it's really interesting to me, Funimation's promotion and distribution strategy for Broly, because it seemed to be all online, the marketing of this film. Like, it was always on Twitter, like, actively promoting, pushing this movie for a year until it came out. Did not see a whole lot of promotion outside of social media, though. 
I did not see many ads on TV. I think it only aired one ad on TV during one weekend on Tsunami. And that was it. And usually with a Fathom Events release, with a limited release, they'll have a trailer for regular movie trailers. Like, for most Fathom Events, when you go to an AMC film, they'll have Fathom Events trailers, Fathom Events screenings. They'll always see a Ghibli Fest yeah. trailer there. You'll always see a trailer for, like, the next upcoming anime release. Pokemon Power of Us, that had a trailer... Uh, in front of every movie that was associated with Fathom Events for, oh, like, so did, uh, months. Mary and the Witch's Flower was in front of pretty much every movie that I went to last year, yeah. um, regardless of whether it was a Fathom event or not. Yeah. Which was pretty darn cool. Got my little brother to want to go see it. Yeah. Um, did. Life got in the way. <laughs> oh, well. I should go see it. it. Seems fun. I mean, that's the problem with a lot of these anime screenings, is that they're such a limited release. They're usually one night... One Showtime and Night deals. The Magic Returns uh, for one night only. Yeah. That was the Mary and the Witch's Flower one. It was a very limited release for such a high-profile movie. They did a follow-up release a month later after the initial one. Yeah. And some select theaters, it had a full release. Mm-hmm. But very few. I only knew one theater in New York where it was like playing every day for like a month or two. That's awesome. Uh, the IFC in New York. Which is, you know, an art house theater. So they specialize in kind of indie stuff, but still, yeah, we don't get films released as wide as Broly did. Even then, Broly did not get a wide release. It only was released in about 1,200 theaters. At its peak, it was only in about 1,267 theaters. At the most, like, a movie like the Lego Movie 2, for example, that is in over 4,000. That is at the peak of a vibe release in terms of how many theaters a movie can get into, like the, the maximum. Uh, so that's so Broly in comparison was in a third of the amount of theaters like other regular wide releases normally come out of Glass, which came out the same weekend. That was in twice as many theaters. Obviously Glass did more successfully than Broly. Uh, that was number one for that weekend. But I mean, again, put it in perspective, Broly's opening night was a 7 million return. Glass's opening night was only a 3.6 million return, I believe. And Broly was right up behind it with a 3.3 gross that same night. That's really good, especially without Pokemania behind it. That's the exactly. other movies that kind of topped out Broly. Yeah, Pokemon the first movie and Pokemon the movie 2000 are still the number... One and two all-time anime films in domestic box office. Like, Pokemon First Movie has an $86 million return. Pokemon Movie 2000 is like half that at 43-something, I think. Yeah. So, Broly's ultimate theatrical run, as of this recording, it has finished its box office run. Because the last showtime... In Minnesota, at the very least, was yesterday at the time of this recording, like February 21st. So, in a 37-day run, Broly has grossed domestically over $30 million. Dang, that's pretty good. Almost $31 million. And that's pretty incredible when you consider that it was dropping theaters much faster than the normal film does. And it was not in as many theaters to begin with. And it's, it's one of those anime movies that normal people, like the people who uh, uh, run the Oscars, don't watch. You know, movies about those other characters. Yeah. Who would watch Broly? Nobody wants to watch Broly. I was in Japan during all of this marketing stuff, so Broly was everywhere where I was. <laughs> it just, it just kind of faded into the background eventually. I'm like, oh, 7-Eleven has, uh, um, has a bunch of Goku and Vegeta things. That's nice. Oh, this, it, there's Broly train stuff everywhere. <laughs> oh, goody. Oh, there, look, there, there's something at a Lawson now. Yay! And I was more excited for the Mario Kart stuff. It must be just like One Piece in Pokemon, where it's like so omnipresent in daily life. Like, you'll see it everywhere that you just, like, you know, accept it as the norm. Yeah, you really do. Broly was everywhere. It's just kind of a thing. Everybody was going to go see it. And there's... 40 movie shows. Although, oddly enough, when I was there in January, I couldn't find any showtimes to go see it. Like, it's very strange, and I think, you know, I want to briefly mention uh, the trials and tribulations it took to get to this podcast. 
So I reached out to you, Vix, uh, to record this podcast yeah. while you're still in Japan. Mm-hmm. And just shortly before I went to see this movie uh, myself, I think I contacted you maybe a couple days before, yeah. in like early mid-January. Um, yeah, we, the plan was Leward and I would see the movie here in the U.S., and then you and Mia would see it in Japan. Yeah. And of course that did not work out because it was not playing anywhere in Japan by yeah. the time you were able to go see any movies. Which really sucks because I wanted to, because I heard there was a 4D showing and that sounded awesome. I want to go see this. I believe there are 4D showings here in the US too. Well, maybe not 4D, but definitely IMAX shows. Yeah. Dragon Ball movies seem to have 3D thing, which that's, yeah. that's cool, I guess. I think that it detracted away from Resurrection F. Personally, because I was like, oh, that's supposed to be in 3D. Man, this would be really not impressive if that was in 3D. Uh, it, it was, apparently you can, since Resurrection F came out around the time that 3D TVs were still a thing, you can buy a 3D version of Resurrection F for your home cinema, because your home cinema totally has 3D oh, TVs wow. nowadays. Yeah. There's even cops floating around on the internet of the 3D version. Wow. In case of 3D computers. Beautiful. Yeah, that's a movie you totally want to be immersed in. Yeah, I think it'd make it easy to see the CGI balls now. <laughs> <laughs> but really, the again, the fates were conspiring against us to record this podcast because we were not able to record it while you were still in Japan. Nope. But you were coming back home to Minnesota for the winter break holiday. Yeah, and then did we want to see it the first Saturday that I got back, and then... We did. See, we had to delay this so many times. Yeah. I think... Okay, so, even before you returned, V-Lord and I wanted to see it again a third time. So, we saw it opening night, just me and V-Lord, at a completely full auditorium at our local AMC, AMC in Prairie. Saw it opening night, amazing time, loved it, crowd was very enthusiastic as well. Saw it again that Saturday with Ethan and Kevin. At a 4 p.m. showtime at the very same AMC mall. Again, completely full auditorium. Yeah. People loved it. It was an amazing time. And I thought this movie was only going to be in theaters one week. Mm-hmm. I definitely wanted to see it a third time. And so we planned to see it the following Friday. But then I realized, oh, they're showing it another week. Yay. So we did not see it that following Friday. And we planned to see it. The next Tuesday, because that was when it seemed like our local AMC, even very AMC, would stop showing it. Mm-hmm. Like, it was still going to play in Southdale and other places, but our AMC at Eden Prairie was not going to show it past the fall of Tuesday. Snowstorm. Oh, yeah. That lasted three days. That was a wonderful time. Um, and that was also the day when we first started that uh, my job decided to take me back. Like, wow. immediately after coming back from Japan. <laughs> That that great great day to start. Huge snowstorm wasn't very fun. It, that became a weekly event of snowstorms uh, destroying our plans to see this movie. God, we had a snowstorm. Uh, we, we've had a huge snowstorm every single week. Schools schools around um, around Minnesota have been closing constantly. Uh, there's about what two feet of snow outside right now. If I stepped out yeah. in the snow, I would probably sink to just below my knee. What's worse is that it's going to snow again this weekend, tonight at 11 p.m., through all the way next morning, intermittently throughout the next day. It's just going to keep doing this until spring finally saves us. And, well, spring won't save us, because then it will all melt and everything will be flooded. Well, yeah, then we'll have a whole new problem to deal with. The weather in Minnesota has just been crazy, awful, terrible, and it is interfering with our movie-going plants. I want to watch anime, damn it! <laughs> they only show it at a few select nights. Not every movie is broly. Most anime screenings are only one or two-day affairs. I wish, I wish every movie was broly, but yeah, that's, that's, that, that just can't happen. It's true, but again, so, Wix, do you even know how many times that we had to reschedule this. I think it was it, around five. It had to have been a lot, around five with just plans to see it with you alone. An yeah. additional two more times for me and Lord. So many times. It seemed like fate, the world, the weather was inspiring against us to see this movie again. 
And for you to see it at all? I know, it was friggin' terrible! <laughs> and even when the weather was not out for us, we had life problems! Yeah. You had a family event? I, I, uh, we had a large family event because my sister was doing something. I can't remember what. I think she came home for the first time in gosh knows how long. And then, then Vialord decided that he wanted to focus on school. Oh. And schools for nerds! Yeah, you were wondering, I'm sure, folks, why Vealord has not spoken this whole time? It's because he's not even here. First at Movies episode without Vealord, because Vealord is working on a school project. How dare he? Apparently, was just too busy to talk about Dragon Ball Super Broly. It's a shame. We had to already delay this podcast once, twice because of him. I think it was, yeah. Um, We were going to do it the night of, and then he had to do some homework. Now we're going to do it another night, but then he had homework. And now we're going to do it tonight, but he's got a paper to do. And he's a big, stinky head. And if he's <laughs> listening to this, he should know that homework isn't going to get you anywhere while talking about anime movies is. Especially <laughs> in America, where anime is treated as something that's very serious. Yes, very. It's an art yes. form, we swear. Maybe too seriously in some cases, but yeah. we will not mention that. And not by any people that would give me money. Well, maybe. Well, maybe. Ma- maybe. Not enough. Yeah. They're not Hollywood. Give me money, Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Discover me, Hollywood. I'm cool. Yeah. Make us your stars, Hollywood. Yeah, we could, we could be like Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. Remember them? Uh, the Siskel you heard of anime movies. It, yeah, and it, you don't see our faces. Yeah. And we go on for way too long. Yeah. And that's what makes it better. We'll, sh- we'll show you all the underappreciated gems, like Broly, the movie that was like third ever. Of all time. Best movie. Third third strongest super anime movie. Yeah, yeah. It's almost a little universe is strongest, but not quite. Can't defeat Pokemon. No. Pokemon is still dominant. Though Broly beat some Pokemon. Beat Pokemon Street. Everything beat Pokemon Street. Pokemon 3 is like top 5. Every, everything beats Pokemon. Do you not like Pokemon 3? I love Pokemon 3, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorites. It, it's a really, really ambitious movie. I think it's the last one by like the original director of the Pokemon television show. I was, um, uh, it was, again, it was supposed to have a darker tone originally, and it was going to more focus on... It was going to be about, like, dinosaurs originally, like, real dinosaurs. He's like, yeah! Oh my god! I remember this! It's written in the back of his, um, or, of his, uh, original script for the, for the few, first few episodes of Pokemon, where everything is super depressing. <laughs> have, have, I, have I shown you, like, the original first few episodes of Pokemon, what they were supposed to be? It was supposed to be this really depressing so. backdrop to everything, where, like, wow. Ash's dad was a total deadbeat that didn't even manage to get to the first Pokemon gym and had dropped out of the game entirely. Gary was, like, had the Corvette and everything because he was literally the last hope of relevancy for Pallet Town, which wow. was fading into obscurity, and the entire economy depended on the Pokemon Professor, which wasn't, <laughs> wasn't even that big, and, and a few eateries around the area. And it was just, it was a depressing mess. It was, oh it was gosh. great. It was a great time. It's, it's a great book. If, if you haven't found it, oh god, what's it, what's it called? Is this translated? Oh, it's completely translated. Some guy is, uh, some guy's doing a decent translation project on the whole thing. Um, oh my gosh. It's darn good. Where? Did I? I wonder if Pokemon would have been as big if it was, if it was about that. It was about Ash. Uh, and his deadbeat dad, and uh, the dire straits of Pallet Town. Um, yeah. I didn't bookmark it. No. Oh no. Well, you gotta send me the link. Um, and, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll so send we can you. Share it with our re- well, listeners. Oh yeah, he's also got some uh, some new art by the graphic designer of the anime, not Ken Sugimori, that goes along with it. That's really really interesting. There's like a huge emphasis on the relationship between Ash's mom, Ash. And it's really, really nice because, like, Ash had Ash's mom had Ash when she was very, very young. Because in the Pokemon world, in this version, this is totally like too early, but it's super cool. <laughs> I want to talk about something. So the idea of sending out ten-year-olds into the world, um, like without any guides whatsoever, just to um, go on a Pokemon journey, it was originally meant to be fucked up. 
Like, wow. they fully go into the implications. There's all sorts of things like underage pregnancy. Um, what? In Pokemon? In Pokemon, yes. Um, people being mauled to death by Pokemon because in this world, uh, Pokemon are a lot more aggressive and violent, like they are in like the anime. Where they're a lot bigger and a lot less, and there's a, they're a bit less intelligent than they are in the games and the manga. Mm -hmm. There's children that are prosecuted as adults under the law. There's kids that can vote and they can drive. And there's the all sorts of societal problems that come out because of this. And it's all due to some great war or something. How is this supposed to be a kid's show? And it's all like written as it's like, uh, some sort of, it's written like the princess bride. Like, there's a grandfather okay. figure that's telling all of this to you, and it's like, oh, if you don't know this kanji, I'll, um, go, go look at, go ask your parents. I'm sure they'll help you. Or, it's very important to learn about this and this kind of thing when you're young. And, and blankety blank, like all these little asides that like a grandfatherly figure would be telling you when it's telling the story of how Ash's mom made a terrible decision when she was young and slept with the hotshot Pokemon trainer of Pallet Town before he left, before he left her with a baby and probably died in obscurity a few years ago. Whoa. This is sad. <laughs> Whoa. Why, why would you come up with something so dark for a kid's cartoon, for something you knew that you were going to market to kids? I have absolutely no idea. And, of course, Team Rocket was like, were like his pet characters. And, yeah, yeah. Like, and since the more fucked up aspects of their backstories, like the parental abuse, uh, Jesse not being able to find food. I mean, a lot of that's... Still in it, it's the still, show. I mean, like, it's still in the show, so, like, the complexity of Team Rocket, which were his favorite characters from the get-go, like, actually makes it in. Yeah. Also, Meowth has, Meowth has a, has a weird complex about, about being kind of a cat, but also being seen as a human, and it kind of pulls at him. That's kind of in the show, too. Yeah. Like, you know, he interacts with humans so much that, you know, he... Like, sometimes he doesn't even think of himself as a Pokemon, and sometimes he has surprised a Pokemon. It's, like, annoyed with humans. Yeah, it's, like, a big back and forth. And there's, like, a big emphasis on how he views himself as superior to Jessica and James. Yeah. And him wanting to be part of the boss's clique comes in earlier than it does in the anime. It's weird. It's a weird journey. That, yeah. Oh, we have Pokemon! Uh, we, yeah, we should... Man, I want to talk about this more. Sometime, but we really gotta get back to Broly. <laughs> yeah, we gotta get back to Broly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back to our theater experiences, just to wrap that up. So, uh, we finally did see it on a Saturday at the one theater still playing at AMC Arbor Lakes. And, to my surprise, for a movie, for this late into the movie's run, it was like a half full theater. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was people um, cheering. There, it was it was like it's the first time. There's people laughing. I think there were a lot of people who did see it for the first time. Yeah, I mean, uh, probably they. Were. There was a lot of word of mouth about this movie, from what I understand. I mean, yeah, it made waves that first weekend. Like, bunch of places were reporting on its box office. Forbes, Business Week, all the places that. Report on box office. We're talking about Broly and speculating. What does this mean for future Venom releases? Why did this movie do so well? Where did this come from? And apparently it helped Alita Battle Angel, even though it doesn't have the key tar. Really? You think it has helped Alita? I believe it has helped Alita in at least some... Because Alita was viewed as the weird anime movie, from mm -hmm. what I could tell from the word of mouth. But since Broly is so... It, it, so many people are going to see it. This anime thing. It must be good. Well, I must see more of this. I anime. think what it might have done is made analysts think differently about what success and what the appeal of anime films is. Because yeah. this completely blindsided a bunch of box office analysts. They did not think this would break into the top five opening weekend. And afterwards, I could definitely see them thinking, wait a minute. So we originally are projecting Lita to open like low 20s. We're expecting it to be a huge flop. And it was huge. Well, I mean, it was it was relatively huge compared to what I was expecting. I thought it was just gonna be a drop in the water, but no, it's still okay. Yeah, bro, uh, Leah had a, like a forty million, a thirty million opening weekend. It's I think right now, as of this recording, has over a forty million gross. Now, obviously, Alita has a lot it needs to do in order to make back its budget because it had a long production history has a really high budget, so, you know, Alita still is a precarious position in terms of whether it'll break even, but in terms of, like, 
success, the audience uh, that it appealed to, it's definitely much wider than I think uh, box office analysts were predicting. And I think the same story was true for Broly. It's true for a lot of anime films. Consistently, I think uh, the Hollywood insiders underestimate the power and the audience that anime has. Yeah, there was also a lot of buzz around this movie constant, like leading up to the release, especially yeah. because this super has was of course big in the United States. It was big internationally it as was, well. It was huge internationally, and of course, especially in South America and Mexico, where they hold held public screenings, uh, where tons of people watched the final episodes on the big screen, cheering loudly. It's that it was a Seinfeld finale of America, <laughs> which that's that's pretty dang cool, honestly. Yeah. And the word of mouth, apparently in Japan, anyways. This is according to what I've been, what I've read on Konzenshu, what I've gotten from being in Japan. So it first started with a redesign of Goku holding yes. Yaibo. The Naho Shintani redesign characters, because for a huge criticism of Super and modern Dragon Ball has been Tadayoshi Yamamoto's character designs, because they are very stiff, they have very awkward anatomy, people often compare them to plastic figure-like drawings, they're just too stiff and over-detailed, too many lines, hard to animate, it's like hard to express. You know, some animators can do great work with them, but it's just really difficult and clumsy. And Shintani's designs... They feel so much truer to Toriyama's art. They are so much rounder, sleeker, simpler, less line work, but still anatomically correct. So much more line mileage in those designs. So much more characterization. And so everyone was a flutter just from a couple preview images. Like you said, the image with Goku holding over, the first image you got from that movie. Emotional art. Like, people were, like, going crazy just from that image. And they went... Even more crazy with the first trailer, which had Goku just bouncing up. It's a scene that we see later in the movie when Goku begins to fight Broly, but it's like Goku just bouncing, doing his warm-up exercises. People were in love with that short 20-second clip of animation because there was just so much character acting, so much great movement in that clip that they were just not used to from like the stiffness of most of Super. And... Goku for a stance. long time, uh, people, in that first trailer we got for this movie, we did not get a good look at the villain who uh, Goku was fighting. We got glimpses of an eye that had a yellow pupil, we, there was green aura all around this character, but we didn't get a good look at his face. We didn't really know who this was going to be. A lot of people, because Toriyama had done an interview where shortly before uh, this trailer coming out, explaining some background detail of Dragon Ball lore, and explaining and uh, mentioning the character Yamoshi, the first uh, Super Saiyan, and uh, explaining the history of that, that people thought, you know, this character that was going to be in this movie was going to be Yamoshi. And everyone was like, oh, we know what it's going to be. We know we're getting Yamoshi. This movie's going to be about the history of the science, of Frieza's role of the science. Come on, this is going to be about Yamoshi. You know, Toriyama dropped all this information about S-cells, and you know, everyone thought that's what it was going to be, and we thought that for like six months, until in July of 2018, just a little bit before San Diego Comic-Con, they were going to show the first trailer for this movie, we got the poster, and we got the reveal of what this movie was called, and who the villain was going to be on the poster, Broly. It's friggin' Broly, he's back, your boy's back, everybody, the legendary super non-canon Saiyan, he's finally canon, strongest yeah. in the world, how is it gonna work? Who knows? Everybody's constantly talking about it, who, um, well, they, they were at the time. Yeah, it was originally designed and created by, uh, Takao Koyama, well, Toriyama did a redesign of Broly for use in that movie, but originally created by Takao Koyama, who was, like, a big director on Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, uh, he, he did, did, did the Bardock special. Yeah, he directed a lot of the movies. Yeah, so, you know, the, the Z movies. And he's very protective of, of his creation. It's no, uh, it's no wonder why he brought him back three times, because in his mind, Broly was the strongest enemy yeah, Goku and friends had ever faced, so that he had just had to keep coming back. If he's so protective of his creation, then why did he let Trunks urinate on, on Broly's face in the second movie? Well, there's something some weird things there. 
I probably wouldn't let people do that to my little baby, personally. <laughs> There's this famous quote from Koyama, where he's, where after the recent Battle of Gods, he was like, oh man, this Beerus guy, I guess he can be Broly, but is it just me, or is Broly scarier? You know, is it just me that I think Broly is just, you know, oh. much more fearsome a foe? <laughs> I'm paraphrasing yeah, I think, there. I think the Beerus but... after Battle of the Gods was honestly kind of terrifying, because, you know, if he if he didn't like your stand-up comedy routine, he'd just <laughs> blow up your planet. He didn't like Man. What does he like? Yeah. <laughs> but, so, I mean, Takayama was very protective and has a big uh, ego about his creation. But more I, like I he, he wants the more like he fantasizes about his creation and his... Yeah. Lifeldian muscles and Lifeldian <laughs> eyes. <laughs> so it's no secret why Broly was so popular with fans everywhere. He's so powerful. Look at his power level. His battle power. Oh, I, well, I'm totally making fun of all of you. Thousand. Wow, that's that's way stronger than nine thousand. That Goku is insane. It's not really it's eight thousand. But never mind that. Um, God, I. Since I, I didn't really get into Dragon Ball until a lot later in life, but I was constantly surrounded by it, there was always this hype around this thing called Broly. Yeah. And everyone's like, he's just the strongest. And I'd see him in the games, and I'd be like, he looks really boring. I want to be that Gogeta <laughs> thing. That thing looks cool. Like, uh, from the uh, from the Power of Fusions movie. Because, you know, that, that, you know, like, red eyeliner, the yeah. red jacket. That's so cool. I was yeah. Um, but this this bro over muscle Broly guy with the with the green hair, I'm like, why does he have green hair? It's yellow green. It's like yeah. it's he's it's powerful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. So uh, when when I heard, uh, um, of course, I've seen the TFS version of Broly, which kind yeah. of explained it a lot more for me why all this weird hype was going around this one character. He's so stupid, but he's so cool. But he's so stupid, but he's so cool. <laughs> Vegeta, I love you. Yeah, yeah, TFS Vegeta is so good. He, he's, he's really good. Um, And uh, after watching the movie for myself, the, the superior Nihongo version, because <laughs> mm, I sniffed my own farts, Um, I can definitely see why this Broly was so cool. He takes a, he takes out future trunks, Takes out Vegeta, and even Vegeta's like, we can't win oh, Kakarot. Vegeta in that movie. We can't just win insufferable. Kakarot, <laughs> give up, just let him win. And the Kakarot's... I love when people have to drag him by his hair God, to was... the battle, and he, Vegeta's just still <laughs> limp and whining, so Piccolo just drops him on the floor because he's so disgusted. It's like, even, come on, dude, even go hot. Your, your kid is right there. You know, the kid that you want to be so much better than. I and mean, even the, even the, the cell art got, like, the relationship between you two kind of right as in, it would be cooler than me, Sean. <laughs> Show off for your son, Vegeta. Be the dad we all know you Vegeta want. Vegeta is so out of character in the movie. That's one of the reasons I absolutely just do not like it. Not only is it so boring, and so tedious. But just the characterization of Vegeta and some of the characters so off in such an annoying way that I just can't deal with it. Yeah. There's interesting was... stuff with Paragus in that movie, I think, but that just falls by the wayside when Broly becomes the focus. And Broly, of course, has this completely main backstory where he's like, I guess, so traumatized by Goku crying as a kid. And that's like the connection. That's why he hates Goku and gets triggered by Goku's name and goes crazy. That That's the catalyst to make Broly turn into the legendary Super Saiyan and going mad. And apparently Broly was always just evil and violent as a child because that he, that's the reason why Paragus has that scar in his eye and all that battle damage and stuff. That's why he had to create the remote and stuff. So I guess Broly is actually just evil from birth. So like there's, there's just no characterization for Broly. Like he's in the original. Besides the fact that he is a big, strong, angry, violent guy. So King Vegeta is 100% right. Yeah, but I guess stabbing a baby, he threw that up somehow because he didn't kill him. So he just threw him away. And then somehow Broly created a force field and allowed himself and Paragus to fly away from the exploding planet Vegeta. It's the Avatar state. It's a fucking Avatar state. That's all it is. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, we wrote ourselves into a corner. 
Broly State. <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, I'll give the movie, I'm going to give it a small credit. Oolong's in it. Oh, I, no. I think another thing I did not like is that they have so many pointless comedy scenes with Oolong and the Muten Roshi that just did not go anywhere. Well, I yeah. feel like they do this with those Metal Dragon Z movies where they have Oolong and Muten Roshi and Yajirobe there, but they don't contribute anything to the plot. Which is really funny, because all Yajirobe actually does in the Dragon Ball manga is either nothing for a very, very <laughs> good and pointed reason, or contribute really heavily to the plot after insisting he will do nothing. Which, and that, really, Oolong was only important in that first arc, and then he doesn't do anything else. Thanks, Toriyama. And then Tenroshi was, uh, was going to show us the power of, of hulked out Kami saying in Kamehameha, No! No, we do goofy you. faces. We're gonna do goofy faces. Ha ha! We're so funny. This yeah. is this is comedy. Anime man, fall down. I will say that I I appreciate Muten Roshi movie just on the level that he adds humor to an otherwise too serious for its own good story. Yeah, a lot of Dragon Ball movies, and from what I've seen, super occasionally, and some parts of the manga, especially the Cell arc. They kind of falter between, we want to, we, we, this is Dragon Ball, so it can't be too dark and serious. We're going to leave that to the Bardock special, and only the Bar, and the Future Trump special. But Dragon Ball itself, it, 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 it needs to be a little bit lighthearted, so what are we going to do? Let's throw our random jokes in there without any attention to tone or time and place. Yeah, which, I, um, the director, he's, you know, I think he's an alright guy. Um, I just think that he probably took Toriyama's comment. I, I, I think that one of his problems with the original Broly movie and the subsequent ones is that he took Toriyama's comments about how this is not something on the Bardock special about how this is a story that Toriyama could not ever tell uh, uh, and because it, there was no jokes. It was just all, it was all serious. It was all very, very gritty and dark and nothing happy happened. And he took that to heart and was like, I must, I, I must fulfill the vision. Or Toriyama's editor yelling at him or something. Probably Toriyama's editor yelling at him. Yeah. Because Toriyama's editor, the first one, the, um, Hiroshima. Hiroshima, or, or Dr. Mashirito. <laughs> Dr. Mashirito has, has the power to make changes to the, uh, when he's not even the editor. Yeah. Just, just calls up Toriyama, I don't like Android 1920! <laughs> Change it! All your new Androids are stupid! Change it! <laughs> oh, I know, that's the second editor. He wanted to. No, the first, uh, Torishima oh, did not man. like the androids yeah. until Cell, and then the second editor was like, oh, Cell looks stupid. Yeah. He can transform, right? Yeah, that, that's how it was. God, God, what a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure he did something. I mean, Torishima, I think, is a huge reason why uh, Dragon Ball did become po as popular as it did. Because, again, Torishima was his editor during regular Dragon Ball, yeah, uh, I mean, early Dragon Ball. And Dr. Slump, so those were huge successes. Let's just see for Canonically. <laughs> and for better or worse, Torishima is the reason there is a Dragon Ball Z, because he did not like how the original Dragon Ball anime was directed and done creatively, so he had a major staff overhaul, bringing in the guys who were doing Saint Seiya at the time, and they realized, oh, we'll get a bigger budget uh, for promotion if we end the series, and relaunch it under a different title, and that is how Dragon Ball Z came to be. And I think it was 110% worse. Mmm, got, well, got some hot tea over here. In terms of international success and recognition, the DBZ yeah. name was quite important. As, as a wise Piccolo once said, nobody watched Dragon Ball. Also a character inspired by Toshima. Yep. <laughs> God, that, that line is even better. <laughs> That's just. Mmm. I wish the kanji on on uh, Piccolo was. I wish the kanji on Piccolo wasn't wasn't ma. Maybe she can switch. That would make things a lot better, honestly. <laughs> but oh yeah, we should probably talk about the 
beginning of the Broly movie. Well, you gave your context on your history with the character of Broly and stuff. Yeah. So I'll briefly mention mine. So, because it's important, because the first ever Dragon Ball Z movie I ever watched, the first ever Dragon Ball movie I ever watched, was Broly Second Coming. Ooh. I only watched it once as a kid. As a 10-year-old kid, so excited to be into Dragon Ball, just getting into Dragon Ball, really excited about this movie because it was like, oh my gosh, a new a Dragon Ball movie, this is the newest one, I gotta buy it, I gotta watch it, I'm gonna be in India for a while, I need to buy a Dragon Ball movie to watch on the plane there. And I bought it, I watched it, I watched it again until the year 2019 because I absolutely hated that movie because not only is Broly a boring character, who only says Kakarot, and has no character other than screaming and laughing and being a big, strong guy who punches things. It also has some really awful humor. Toilet totally humor. Trunks pissing on Broly's face. That's yeah. so funny. The worst scene in any Dragon movie. And there are a lot of bad scenes of all the piss jokes, but man, as a kid, I just, that was like the moment I was like, no, I'm not watching. Like, no matter what happens after this, I am just done with this thing. But I, that did not stop me from buying BioBroly and watching BioBroly, which I actually liked. I watched, I rewatched that a lot of times as a kid because there's a lot of good things about BioBroly because it has Mr. Satan and Anthony Dickie in it. And uh, Krillin actually is treated well in that movie. He's not a joke. He actually that, contributes. In a, in a Dragon Ball movie? He actually wow. contributes to the climax. He gets to be a part of the big Kamehameha uh, that he and Trunks and Goten do to take out Broly. Like, he's he's treated well. Finally, I guess the only Dragon Ball movie where Krillin gets to be a part of the victory. I mean, even when you consider original Dragon Ball movie, it's like Princess Krillin. Princess and the Sleeping Castle. Eh, you know what? You're right. The original Dragon Ball treats him way better than the Dragon Ball Z movies. Like, from the very beginning, from the very first Dragon Ball Z movie, when Gohan pisses all over Krillin, no, you know it's not going to be good. Be yeah, poor dude. He's just kind of there. Yeah. He, he's, he's, he's there because human. this is the era of the same. Humans are dumb. Yeah, Humans yeah. are meant to be the fun, the funny people. We don't do that. <laughs> we need Roshi, Krillin. We, uh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. So, by, by the way, I'm at, um, I, I, I just been... Uh, before... Uh, before I, we did, I did the podcast, I did a run through of the entire Dragon Ball manga for the first time, and yeah. uh, I'm coming. And uh, my bias originally was more towards the original Dragon Ball because that's what I had read first. Yeah, um, or rather, the first sixteen volumes that comprise the original Dragon Ball anime. Yeah, so I, I had read that firsthand. I, I read that first. Be- I don't remember why. Probably because I had seen a. Okay, my very first exposure, like, with, like, actual sitting down and watching things was TFS, because it was that era, and it was the internet, and drag, I, I heard legendary stories of Dragon Ball just dragging on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, <laughs> and the scanlations at the time were absolutely terrible for the original Dragon Ball. And there were official translations. There were official translations. I, I couldn't afford that. Like it was library. I didn't know. I didn't know how to game the library until until freshman year of high school. I was a very dumb kid. Well, yeah, but even if you just visited the library, there was always so many Dragon Ball volumes. That's like how I. I lived in Watertown. Oh. The library is like the size of this room. Oh wow! Yeah, it was in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) So I was living in the middle of nowhere. So TFS was all I had for a little while, Mm -hmm. and then. And then um, went out and bought the first Dragon Ball volumes, uh, the first Dragon Ball volumes, and so I blazed through that, though was using both a combination of the library and V-Lord's collection, <laughs> and and uh, so that so I was very biased towards that, because what I saw in Z and was exposed to from TFS, I was like, I don't like this as much as the mystical adventure stuff, and then I, and then I read through it to give it another chance. And because my favorite characters happen to be, you know, Yamcha and uh, Tien. Lunch. And Lunch. Oh, dear. Dear, poor <laughs> Lunch. I, I totally agree with him in TFS where he says, fuck power levels, fuck Saiyans, and fuck you. <laughs> Saiyans ruin Dragon Ball. 
and watched a few of the movies before coming here. And so I'm basically caught up on the pure Toriyama canon. Mm-hmm. I've seen Battle of the Gods, I've seen Resurrection F, and um, some cuts in the made by throwing together Super episodes. I haven't seen much of Super, and I've watched Broke. And that's my exposure to the Dragon Ball. Keep Bulma's hair purple. That's, yeah. yeah. Only time it is, is in Pat the Power. Which is a great movie, and everyone should watch that, because my friends and I like screaming about how great number eight is. Aider to you, Bakagaijin. <laughs> Hachan to us, superior Nihonji. <laughs> Don't be a hater, Aider. Oh, <laughs> going on now. <laughs> No, seriously, it's interesting. It's the fashion sense is it's like what GT could have looked like. I mean, it was like G- what GT it, uh, looked like, except with theatrical quality. Yeah, theatrical quality, and also one of the interesting things about it is that Toriyama's style doesn't have shading. Yeah, by design, he hates shading. That man will not shade, and he will not ink. Yeah, he fucking hates it. Uh, but Path to Power is very, very shaded, so it looks very interesting. It has a very odd sepia tone shaded look that you're not going to see in any Dragon Ball thing ever. It looks like um, if you ever managed to read any you know, deluxe releases of an English manga or you bad child, you you read a scanlation of a Kanzenban somewhere it's when um, probably like Jojo or some shit it's where it's kind of colored but not so like the reds and the oranges are the only thing that are colored and yes yeah browns in there. It looks like that. The whole movie. It's super cool. Also, there's, like, there, there's a lot of weird old silent movie references. That like Hachan's coat is awesome. I love it. I didn't even notice that. Oh, no, yeah. There's a there's some weird old silent movie that, that music that was playing for his theme that was reminiscent of uh, of like the old bassoons that they have. Frankenstein movies, oh, that is awesome. and they always like they always had to keep his coat. Like his coat was like a big thing, and there was like some old anime robots in the background. It was pretty cool. It was oh a good gosh. time. I got to pay more attention to that next time I watch it. But yeah, I, I was pouring over it, Ethan, the other night because we like Kid Goku. Yay us! I am yeah. So my spirit, my my mileage with Broly. As a person who's very, very not into the Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z animes, I actually have not seen very much of the Dragon Ball Z anime at all. I've seen some through nights over at V-Lord's house, and I sat down and watched an episode on a whim because I wanted to see the Ginyu Force's original musical scoring. Instead mm-hmm. of the Tokusentai! That's what you want to watch the original, you have the Tokusentai version. Because I like the original scoring, and I don't like Kai's scoring. <gasps> you don't much. like the Tokusentai score? I like the Tokusentai score, although it's probably really unfitting for them. But it's really fitting, surprisingly, considering it came from the Bardock special, of all things, yeah. and was like used for like the fights... What, uh, like for like the uh, the first part of the uh, fight between Bardock and all of Freeze's men, but Solid State Scouter was used for that. Oh, uh, like the, the, that was the second part. Okay. Like the first part was so before the commercial That's what the Ginyu Forces theme was as well. Okay, that works. I didn't know that until I watched the Bardock special later. That's good. If you haven't seen the Bardock special, go watch it. It's better than Dragon Ball minus. Uh, yeah, which I think we'll get into in a little bit. We'll but yeah, so I think we're both in agreement that going into this movie, we were not a fan of Broly the character as he has originally been depicted. And uh, I think a lot of the fandom is like that. There is a lot, as much as there is a portion of the fandom that loves Broly, there's also a portion that is like, Broly is everything that's wrong with Dragon Ball, that re- represents the worst parts of Dragon Balls. The parts of it are assessed with power levels and strength and muscles and screening. Oh, definitely. It's just the worst. I personally absolutely believe that, because it's like, like, Broly represents one of the big problems of Dragon Ball, which is there's no fighting, just like, no, like, actual brains involved in the fighting. It's just who has the highest number. Like, yeah. throw in a, a superhero from the Marvel or DC universe, they'll wipe the floor, 
with Broly because they're using creative thinking to fight instead of just, oh no, my number isn't high enough, Kakarot, we must give up! And that Broly fight in the first movie, like, there's cool stuff in there. I love, like, when Broly is, like, throwing Gohans through the building, yeah. which is a scene they recreate with uh, Broly's fight with Goku and Super Broly. And there's also that great scene where Broly is, like, he's thrown Piccolo down on the ground, and he, like, runs on the ground, and then Gohan and Trunks come at him, and he just, like, elbows them out of the side, and then he kicks Piccolo up in the air. That's an amazing shot. Uh, it's, it's a great shot. I mean, it's absolutely brutal. You know, it's like, who's Gohan? What did you die? <laughs> but, uh-huh. And there's, some, there's the jokes. great moment where, like, Broly punches Goku, and his face, like, shatters, like, the last... This is a great artistic choice. When Broly no-sells the Kamehameha, like, point blank, there's memorable stuff in that fight, but it's all one-sided, and it's not interesting. It drags on forever because, again, it's just a series of just beat-ups that don't have, like, any thought behind it. Like, none of the characters really have a plan in how they are actually fighting Broly. It's just a series of disconnected things they're doing that allow Broly to just beat up on them. And they can never beat Broly because they don't have the big number. It's really, the only thing can yeah. be, the, the comic can defeat him because it has the big number. It's really completely pointless fight because it's just 30 minutes of them getting beat up by Broly until they decide to give Goku their energy and Goku ends it in one punch. Yeah, it's like a Genki Dama punch. It's, yeah, it's, it's sure a great fight. It ends in one punch. Against Goku has all the power from his friends. It's, it's a totally satisfying ending. Yeah. No, it totally has to be dragged out because Vegeta is being stubborn for some reason. That's, that was done a lot It's done a lot better. A lot of different drag moments. Vegeta being stubborn to, to work with Goku. So yeah, I mean, the beginning. The fandom had a lot of uh, criticism, or was very skeptical, very divided. Broly. A lot of people are saying, "Oh, well, this movie's gonna be terrible because it has Broly in it." And then other people are saying, "Well, it's gonna be Kira Toriyama's take." Uh, we read like a blurb from Toriyama, which was saying, "Oh, you know, apparently this Broly guy is popular. I didn't really remember him, but..." My uh, people suggested that I make this movie about him, so I like watched all the movies. They're like, "Oh, okay, there's an idea here. I'll I'll do it my way." And yeah, I hope you like my interpretation. It's basically like what he said. And so now I got people hopeful. And then San Diego Comic Con happened, and we got the trailer, and everyone was hyped at all the awesome animation clips that we saw. Like, Broly didn't talk at all, so people were still like, "He's going to be an interesting character," but it, that didn't really matter because people were just so hyped. For how amazing the fighting is going to look, and that pretty much carried over into a big optimistic news throughout the entire rest of the year as we got more trailer rollouts. So we got the second trailer, which was showing off all the Dragon Ball Minus stuff, and people were like, "Well, I don't really like Dragon Ball Minus and the fact that it's in this movie, but it looks really good, so tolerate it." And it's oh, basically consensus. <laughs> yeah. I I still believe that was only written to sell. Jaco the Galactic it, it was. To, to it pretty bombs. much was. And, because, uh, as we all know, Toriyama loves Bardock. Not, <laughs> not really a story. It's just like, oh, here's a bonus thing to entice Dragon Ball fans to buy this thing that was perfectly fine on its own, but I guess they weren't confident enough. Yeah, let's break, let's, let's just fucking break canon and rip off Superman. Yeah, let's, let's ruin everything that was great and original about the Bardock special and, and oh, the strip. Oh, and, oh, let's make Raddick look like more of a fool than ever. Literally everything he said is non-canon now. More everything. useless than Yamcha. God, the poor <laughs> man. He died for nothing. His expert. Well, okay, wait. No, no, no. He didn't give the Namekian exposition. The Saiyan exposition was the only part that was correct. Yeah, the, the poor dude. Man. The poor Raddick. He's just everything he says is just kind of left on. Yeah. Imagine your existence being, as a character being for exposition and yeah, then dying. Main, the main character's brother. You only get to appear in ten chapters, start off a bunch of exposition that turns wrong, and then just be a stepping stone to more memorable characters. Like Nappa. And Nappa. And Nappa. 
He's interesting in the manga, too. Yeah. He's hilarious. I love that man. Nappa's great. They even put him in this movie for no reason. Oh, for a reason. It's just to be a cameo. But... That's not a reason. That's fan service. Oh, wait, that is a reason. Yeah. I just explained it. Oh, well. <laughs> but, yeah. So, I mean, I was hyped. I was for this, hyped. For this movie. And, uh, man, I was anticipating. I was... Avoiding spoilers, but I was hearing old early bras, and I was hearing some mixed feelings on the story, but like everything about the animation, how it looked, was just incredible. Uh, it seemed like everyone wa- loved this movie and came out of it. You know, I don't know if that's the best Dragon Ball movie. I mixed feelings on the story, but man, this is the best Dragon Ball's ever looked, and that got me so hyped. And then uh, I saw it, and yeah, I, I actually am one of the people who Believe that this is the best Dragon Ball movie. We'll get into that in a bit. I agree. Having seen it four times now, I didn't mention this, but I saw it an additional fourth time uh, by myself. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter. Yeah, for last night, last showtime in Minnesota, the 8 p.m. at AMC Arbor Lakes. I was one of only two people in that screening, and I had to move all to myself pretty much. And it's good just to see it again. Like, every time it came out of that movie, it made me want to see it again. Um, I notice different things every time I watch it. I've, I've seen it about, Yeah. I, I've seen it about uh, now. It's very, it's a very, very interesting movie, and you'll notice more about it as it goes. Uh, something's good, something's bad, the more you watch it. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to disagree on what's good and what's bad. And I'm going to give the movie a lot of credit. Some people listening to this might not, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a lot of credits from the get-go. Just, just, you know, mm-hmm. just, just deal with me. I believe in this Dragon Ball bullshit. I hate it, but I love it. <laughs> and yet I hate it, and yet I love it. I'm trapped here. Oh, God. I think that's what every Dragon Ball fan feels. Like, we hate that. It's still going. There's so much to criticize about how they're handling things, but man, there's so much to love still too. I know. I thought it was. Um, I, I was I, as I went through it. I did nothing but com- as I went through the manga and movies, I did nothing but complain the whole time. Friends are like, "Why are you doing it?" Like, oh, because yeah. there's such a good spark. There's so much good stuff in there too. You had a lot of nice things to say about like, especially like the pre Z material and you like the Boo arc. Oh, I love the Boo arc. Oh, yeah, that's... This might call your interpretations. Cell arc is the worst arc, and Boo arc is pretty damn good. Also, I think that um, the entire Boo arc would be better if it was just Saiyaman. I agree. I wish there was more Saiyaman. All hail the great Saiyaman! So, if you're one of those people that are more into the cosmic part of DB and all the... um, and, And the fighting and... The transformations and the final re- and the big reveals and the world-ending threats is that I this is this not I, I do not agree with you. I think you're you're a big dummy. Everything's better when people are getting turned into candy. Yeah, <laughs> I I think everything's a lot better when nobody takes things seriously, but they do. Yeah. at the same time. I like when the Dragon Ball has a lighthearted tone and it can it knows how to pull out your heartstrings and knows when it's appropriate to get serious, but it's not, like, completely serious the whole way through a story. There's levity, there's humor, and there's a wink and a nod towards, yeah, we're doing some silly stuff here, but just roll with it and have a good time with it. That's what the Boo arc was to me. That's the, and the Cell arc to me was just, oh, look, this is a serious story. There's, there's humor thrown into the end, thanks to Mr. Satan, whose parts are the best parts of that arc. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. <laughs> God, I love that man. Yeah, but yeah, so I think that Super Broly had a great balance of what uh, of the tone I want from a Dragon Ball movie. But that finally does it for this episode of My Set Movies, talking about Dragon Ball Super Broly. And Vix, until the next time, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at uh, Vixie the Valiant at twitter.com. That's all that, that I just repost dumb shit. That's, I, I repost sad shit, dumb shit, funny shit, and occasionally throw in some of my own little tidbits there. Whenever I'm reading something, you can 
be the first to find out exactly what I think of a random panel from page 279. It's completely out of context with my inane ramblings about it. That's also part of the fun. I love doing that on other people's work, on other people's pages as well. I love reading your thoughts on Dragon Ball as you're reading into the manga. Yeah, it's a great time. And as for me, you can find me at LoneRomayasha on Twitter and as LoneRomayasha on a variety of places, including uh, Animation Revelation, Animus, wherever there's a LoneRomayasha, that's where you can find me. As for the show, you can find Manga Rights at Manga Rights on, uh, at Manga underscore Rights on Twitter, MangaRights.com.com. Uh, our YouTube channel is Manga Rights, YouTube slash C, Manga Mavericks. Uh, search for a channel name in uh, the search bar, you will find our channel. And we are also on every podcast platform that you can think of, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever have you, Spotify. We are on there, and so you can subscribe to us, rate us, leave us a review, almost grab us on YouTube and like and comment on our videos. All those things help us grow and find new audiences and help us improve the show and make it even better. And if you want to reach out to us, leave us a comment, your talks on Dragon Ball Bully, what films we should cover on the show, definitely send us an email at mongorex at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, help us buy more manga and movie tickets, definitely do- you can donate to us uh, on our Kofi pages. My Kofi is Kofi slash Romamiyasha. And you know, she donations definitely help pay the way toward buying manga and movie tickets to cover uh, material on the show, which definitely helps us out because it's an expensive hobby. But that does it for this episode of My Rex at Movies, and we will see you in the next one. And see you.